Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to start out by reading to you a scripture from Matthew chapter 26. This is what we call the Last Supper, what had taken place there as they were celebrating the Passover celebration, the meal. And uh, Jesus is together with his disciples, and it's recorded for us that um, Jesus said the following words. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in verse 26 of chapter 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Amen? Now, let's, let's get into the context of this. The one thing we want to avoid, and we've ventured to do this over these past 20-some-odd years, is never make communion just an empty ritual. But Jesus said that when we do it, we're supposed to do it in remembrance of him. We're not supposed to do it for any other reason but to remember what he accomplished for us on the cross, to, to have a stronger and maybe deeper reverence and appreciation for what he endured for every single one of us, And so we don't want it to be just something that you just tack on at the end of the service and that's it. We want it to be special, amen? So understand that when these words were recorded, Jesus knows that he's just hours away from, from suffering, from his death. And over the next few hours, even though, even though this is what's going on on the inside of him, and understand, Jesus is 100% God, yes? yes? And 100% man. Yes. And then the 100% man side of him, he's got to deal with all the emotions that you and I would have to deal with. So knowing that he's facing this tremendous time of suffering, this tremendous time of humiliation, and then after he's done suffering physically on the cross, he's going to go into hell and he's going to suffer Everything that you and I would suffer that reject Christ, he did it all for us. Now, knowing he's going to suffer all this, knowing what's awaiting him, he still has enough love in him, he still has enough compassion that he's not sitting at this table feeling sorry for himself. He's not even, he's not even praying for himself. What he's doing is he's determined that he's going to use the next few hours of this celebration, watch this, to prepare his disciples for the worst three days of their lives. Man, that's love. When you can put yourself aside to that point. Now, mind you, none of them know what's going on behind the scenes. Not one of them realized that this is the last night that you're gonna have, they're going to have a meal with him. This is the last time they're going to see him in this present state. The next time they see him, he will be in his resurrected body. They don't have a clue. And so I, I think we need to pay attention to that which took place during this, this what we call the Last Supper to understand, to put ourselves in that moment, to realize, my God, what kind of love does this type of thing? So that we would come to communion with a heart of reverence, with a heart of respect, with a heart of appreciation. Amen? He's going to use something that's very familiar to these disciples, this Passover meal, to not only join them to himself, but in this case here, He's going to do everything possible to deposit within their hearts what they need to stick together. This is as much as about them 
as it is about him. And I pray that as I continue, you'll understand deeper what I'm talking about. We call this whole event communion. The word communion, in the original scriptures written in Greek, is the word koinonia. Now, koinonia has a lot of different words that it can mean, and it's translated a lot of different ways. But most, the most popular ways it is translated is the word fellowship, the word association, the word community, just joint participation, unity. And let, listen, every single one of us have been created by our creator, by our God, to be individuals that need communion. I don't mean just this bread and this little wafer and this little cup. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about communion, I'm talking about we need one another. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you've been hurt. I don't care how much, how bitter your heart has gotten because this one wounded you and that one wounded you, this one disappointed. Deep down inside, we need other people. Amen. Amen. We need a network. We need a support group. We need people that we know that we can run to, that we can call in the middle of the night and say, I need help. I need prayer. I need somebody to come here with me. I need someone to hold up my arms. We, every single one of us need And let me tell you something, okay? If you happen to be at this point in time, one of those individuals that have suffered emotionally at the hands of someone else, if you have been the victim of someone's abuse and someone's just, just hatred or just sometimes indifference is worse than even abuse, if you are one of those people that have suffered that and your heart has gotten hardened, I pray that before the end of this service, God does something supernatural in your hearts. I pray that there's a softening. I pray that there's a healing I pray that, that, that the very oil of the Holy Spirit just pours into your heart and you're able to forgive and you're able to move on and you're able to, and if you need forgiveness, you'll have the courage to go get that too. Amen? Amen. Because what is the use of us taking this if we don't take it with the right heart? Amen? Amen? Amen. So that night, Jesus uses phraseology. He uses words to literally invite the disciples to come into a relationship with him. He almost uses very much like what we would consider marriage language. And what he's trying to accomplish is he's wanting them to understand, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want to be in relationship with you. He wants us to understand this is not about a set of rules or regulations or customs and traditions. It is about having a very alive, very vibrant relationship with the God who created you. Amen? And so he uses this language to invite them into relationship with himself, and that relationship is going to last forever, that relationship we call salvation, amen? But he's also calling them into relationship with one another, and I pray that you see that even clearer as we go through some scripture. Now, in John chapter 17, we have recorded for us a prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father at the Last Supper, and he's praying this in front of the disciples, but the interesting thing about this prayer, and I hope that you pick up on this, and I'll point it out to you when we get there, is not only does he pray for them who were sitting there in that moment, but he also prayed for us who were sitting here right now in this moment. Amen? So let me, let me just pick up here in verse 18. Jesus is praying to the Father. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy. In other words, that we would be set apart, the disciples would be set apart, by your truth. He continues in verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me 
through their message. And every one of us that is sitting here today as believers, we are sitting here and we became believers because we heard a message that somebody heard from somebody else throughout the generations and took that message and brought it into our generation, brought it into your life. And you became a believer because those original disciples took that message and brought it to the next generation, who brought it to the next generation, who brought it to the next generation. And now it's our responsibility to do what? Bring it to the next generation. Imagine that 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for every one of us that are gathered here today. That blesses me. And he goes on to say what he's praying. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be what? One. Come on. That they will all be what? One. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The church exists. The gathering of believers exists to send a message to this world that he's real, that he's alive, that he, yeah, he died on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. And he has deposited his spirit inside each and every one of our hearts. That is the message that we send as a church. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one. You hear this constant theme? This unity, fellowship, communion, koinonia, that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity, there it is again, that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What an amazing prayer. What an amazing prayer. So while instituting what we call the sacrament of communion, Jesus wraps it up by praying for unity among his disciples. I want you to keep this phrase in mind that I'm about to tell you because you're gonna hear about it over and over again. We gather ourselves together here to take communion. And in a real sense, communion is about paying honor to all that Christ accomplished for us at the cross. We honor Jesus when we honor what he died for. I can say it this way. We honor Jesus when we honor who he died for. And who he died for is sitting right next to you, sitting right in front of you, sitting right behind you. I want you to just turn around, turn around. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person in front of you. Look at the person behind you. That is the individual that Jesus went to the cross for. Amen? So listen. When we honor one another, we honor who he died for. And his death, then, is never in vain. Communion, unity, connection between Jesus and us exists because Jesus said that there's two main commands that are completely summed up in love. He said we're to love God, let's put anything else before him, and we're to love one another. He said when you love God, put no one else before him, and you love others as you love yourself, you fulfill all the Ten Commandments, all the commandments, all the details of the Old Testament, Everything are fulfilled in that one command, love, love. I noticed that when I did some research, in the entire New Testament, 13, listen to this, 13 times we're commanded to love one another. Can you imagine that 13 times? 13 times. He had to tell us, why do you think he'd have to tell us 13 times to love one another? 
because we needed to hear it over and over again. Let me ask you a question. Parents, when you told your kids to go in the room and clean the room, did they do it the first time? Why? Because it doesn't come natural to them. I think if one of my kids, and now even one of my grandchildren, ever came in the room and said, oh, oh, father, I have cleaned the room without asking it. I think I would fall over. I think I would fall over. Why? Because it doesn't come natural. I'm sorry, that kid's a weirdo that does that without. <laughs> but you understand the point I'm trying to make? He has to tell us over and over and over and over again. Why? Because it doesn't come natural. What comes natural to us is selfishness. What comes natural to us is, I want the bigger piece of pizza. I want the last piece of chocolate cake. Don't look, go sit there and go, oh, I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, John, well, when you open up that box, you eyed it up, you went, there's the big one. That comes natural to us. We're never told in the scriptures, go for the big piece of pizza. Why? He doesn't have to tell us why, because it comes natural. We're never told in the scriptures to put yourself first. Why? Because that comes natural. What we're told in the scriptures is, Bear each other's burdens. Prefer the other more than you prefer yourself. Honor your brothers and sisters. Be devoted to them. That's what we're told in the scriptures. Why do we have to be told that? Because it doesn't. So Jesus, here he is. He's trying to make the last, one last ditch effort of making a big impact in these people's lives so that he can prepare them to what? Stick together. Why? Because in the next 72 hours, They're going to see their master arrested, brutally mistreated, humiliated in a mock trial. They're going to see him having to carry this cross on a back that's been ripped open. They're going to see him. They're going to have knowledge that this is the one that raised the dead, that healed the blind, that gave back hearing to the deaf. This is the one who did so much good, and now he's been repaid by being nailed to a rough piece of wood and hung up naked for everyone to see. After that, they know that he's going to be buried in a tomb. They're going to go through hell in the next three days. And what's he doing? He's preparing them what? Stick together. Love one another. Be there for one another. Be the support group for one another. Peter, feed my sheep. This is the message that he gave them the last hours that he was with them. Dear God, if that's the last, if he thought it was so important to spend those last few hours, giving this information to them, how dare we not give the significance to that message? We honor Jesus when we honor who he died for. We display the true spirit of communion by how we treat each other. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Somebody recently said, you can gauge if you love people by the way you talk about them to others. How do you talk about your brothers and sisters now? I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord. How do you talk about your brothers and sisters? How do you talk with the people that you go to church with? When you're describing them to maybe family members, or you're describing them to coworkers and telling people, this is where I go to church and this is where I go to church. Yeah, I know this person and, and I found out they live in my neighborhood. And I found How do you treat other believers? First Peter said this, Chapter one, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, 
through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another, watch this, fervently. And then he adds, you better have the right motive with a pure heart. Love one another fervently, fervently. What is fervently? White hot. Fervently is not casual. It's not frivolous. Fervently is I'll die for you. I'm there for you. I'll be there for you. Whatever I have is yours. What do you need? Do you need prayer? Do you need me to spend time with you? Do you, mean, do you need me to cook a meal for you? Do you need me to come and clean your house? Do you need me to come and take care of your kids? What do you need? Do you need, do you need a ride? Do you need someone to take you to the doctor? We've not been called to just casual Christianity. We've been called to community. We need to care for each other. Are you listening to me? The gathering of the church, the gathering of believers does not exist for us to entertain one another. It doesn't exist for us to just socialize together. It exists that we would be here for one another. How are your relationships? What would you, how, would you, how would you classify them? Would you classify them as just casual and comfortable? Or would you classify them as committed? You know, I knew you've probably heard this already many times, but the difference between involvement and commitment is like ham and eggs. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. <laughs> Take a minute. Every other service took a minute. Like, mm. So how are you with people's lives? How are you in relationships? Are, are you just involved? Do you just drop an egg and move on? Are you committed? Are you committed? There's something about a believer who is committed to the welfare of others that gets God's attention. I've seen it throughout these 33 years. There was some, when you develop a heart and you develop an attitude that you're going to be there for your brothers and sisters and Lord. And th- that's not saying we abandon everybody else. Of course not. It's not saying we abandon our natural families. It's not saying that we abandon people that don't know Christ. We have nothing to do with them. We shun them because we're just going to, no, that's cultish. You, you, that, that's weird. What I'm saying is this. Have you developed yourself to the point emotionally? where you're serious about relationships with people. That you're not just coming to church to be a spectator. That you're not just coming here, just come in here and just like a sponge, just suck up everything you can and just run out the door at the end of the service before you have to meet anybody. It's not what God called us to. Now take it to the next level, it's not what Jesus died for. Now, the next way that we, dis- we display the spirit of communion, the heart of communion, is how we value one another. Now, Paul gave instructions to the church for communion. And if you study the Gospels, you study the Word of God, you study the New Testament, the only other place that we get any kind of instruction for communion is what we just read in Matthew, the actual account of the Last Supper. But the only other time we have instruction to the church about how communion is supposed to be handled is in Paul's letters to the church of Corinth. Now, Paul gives instruction. Now, now watch this now. The reason he's got to give instructions is because they were kind of weird there. They were rude. They would get together and have communion, and they would have these, like, banquet, like a, 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 what they call the love feast, okay? And they would come together, and they would actually have a meal, and then they're going to take communion together. And, and Paul has to write a letter to them because they're being, like, nasty and rude. You know, like, nobody in here would do this, but, you know, they were the type of people, you ever, you ever been at a buffet? The type of people, they give, like, three or four plates and pile everything on, and they don't care, you know, they took the last shrimp out of the buffet, and you're behind there, like... Well, this is how they were conducting themselves. They were showing up drunk. 
They're showing up, they're not eating for three days until they get there so they can grab all the food. They're not, the rich people wanted to sit in nice places and they're shoving the poor people aside. And Paul's saying, what are you guys doing? This totally disrespects the attitude of communion. So he's got to give them instructions. And so we pick up here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, if you're going to come with the wrong attitude, you'd be better off not taking this. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the, from the cup. Watch this, verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning, would you say that word, please? Discerning. See, discerning is more than just seeing something with your eye. Discerning is you're catching it in here. It's a revelation. It's, it's like, you know, you know uh, aha moment, you know, the light bulb goes off. He's saying, if you don't discern the Lord's body, then there's no use you taking this cup because you're not getting the benefits. Now, I want to spend some time. I want to spend a few moments here because it's important that we understand what he just said. Discerning the Lord's body involves two different aspects. Number one, I'll share with you my personal experience. I was raised in a Christian denomination where you took communion every service. Every service. In fact, that's how we knew we were getting out. And I'm being, I'm not, please don't take this as disrespectful. I'm just trying to be real. When we heard the bells and it was time for the wafer, you got a few minutes and we're out of here. Okay? Now, in, in my years as a young child, uh, not only going to Catholic church, but also Catholic school, being raised up in that, I can't tell you how many of those communion wafers I ate. Must have been thousands over the years. Okay? But listen to me. It could not benefit me because I was not taught how to discern. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm blaming me, okay? I was not, I did not learn how to discern the Lord's body. What do you mean, Pastor? I did not know that Isaiah 53 says that Jesus himself at the cross took upon him all our diseases, all of our sicknesses, all of our sin, all of our shame, and by his wounds... We're healed. I didn't know that. So how can I benefit from this communion? Because that communion represents the body of Jesus. And that body was nailed to the cross. That body took every disease known to man upon it. That body took my sin. That body took my shame. But if you're not taught that, how can you discern the Lord's body? Now, there's another facet, and this is what we're dealing with today as we prepare our hearts to take communion. The Lord's body, the body of Christ is in this room. And Paul's saying, if you have no respect for one another, and particularly to these people, if you're showing up, and you're showing up drunk, and you're, and you're, and you're pushing everybody else aside, and you're trying to get all the food that you can, you have no respect for your brothers and sisters, guess what? You might as well not even take this. Because you're what? You're not discerning the Lord's body. When we honor what Jesus died for, we honor Jesus. If we dishonor what Jesus died for, we dishonor Jesus. Now watch, he said, he goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing this for the sake of time. He goes on to say, this is the reason why many of you are weak and sick. And he says, and some of you went to sleep early. In other words, this is the reason that disrespect for the body of Christ, that disrespect for brothers and sisters, that disrespect for the body of Jesus himself and what he accomplished on the cross. He said, when you dishonor that, you do this, you take yourself out of position to be blessed. Now flip it around. 
He said to them, if you guys would just learn how to honor each other and respect each other and love each other and then be mindful of, be very much aware of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, what do you do? You position yourself for blessing. This communion that we're about to partake of can bring healing to your body. This communion that we're about to partake of can bring healing to your emotions, to your soul, to your mind. But if you're living in unforgiveness, if you purposely sit on the other side of the church because you don't want to sit next to so-and-so, you better deal with those things. Why? Because you, when you do that, you forfeit the blessing that's coming toward you. What do you do? You take yourself out of position to receive that blessing. God still loves you. God still desires to spend all of eternity with you. But here on the earth, we are the body of Christ. When Jesus saves a person, he sets that person in a group, in a gathering of believers. There is a personal relationship with Christ, but there is also a corporate relationship with other believers. Literally, literally, we are in this together. And we better start, listen to me, we better start treating each other like we're in this together. And you know, it did not hit me, because I've been struggling with this message since last week. Like, do I really want to teach? Do I want to teach? Because what I felt really strongly about this that the Lord was putting this on my heart. Because I don't know when the last time was that I've ever preached a message like this, tying communion together with this. And then I was in the middle of Saturday night service teaching, and all of a sudden it dawned on me why the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. We just announced last week that we're becoming a multi-site church. That, what does that mean? That means in September, this church is going to be one church in two locations. That means some of you that are sitting next to each other right now, you better start developing a relationship now because that person might be sitting in another church in September. Same new beginnings, same teaching, same worship, same everything, but they'll be in a different location. Most likely by next year, this time, there'll be a third campus and there'll be another group of people that are gonna be sitting in an entirely new building someplace else. We need to have that unity. And we've got to start developing it now more than ever. Now we have. This has been a good church, thank God. We have never had a church split. We have never had that kind of division. We have never had any problems like that. In Jesus' name, we never will. But listen to me. We need to start amping this up. We need to start being more conscious of who your brothers and sisters are. We need to be much more aware and appreciate, have an appreciation for each other. Why? We're going to need each other. You're going to need that person that's sitting next to you. You're going to need that one that's sitting on the other side of the room. You're going to need that person. Because you and I are going to go through storms in life, and Jesus knew that. He knew that those disciples that were sitting around that table with him that night were going to be extremely challenged within those next few days. And then once he's off the scene, he knows. They better learn how to work together. They better learn how to love each other. They better learn how to forgive one another. Why? Because he's going back to heaven, and he needs them to accomplish this mission that he started. So he, at the Last Supper, he institutes communion so that we would remember what he did, but we'd also remember who he died for, Amen. that we would develop an appreciation for one another, that we would learn how to develop a lifestyle of forgiveness. Listen, we're all going to disappoint each other at some point. Do you hang around with me long enough? Trust me, I'm going to challenge your love walk. <laughs> Ask my wife. Okay? 
If we hung around with each other long enough, we're going to pick up some character flaws. We're going to pick up some, we're going to disappoint each other at some point in time. Why? We're human. We're human. And we have, we have the Holy One in us. And we're, we're told to acknowledge that good thing that is in us by Christ Jesus, his spirit in us. And so we can walk in love with each other. See, because when the Holy Ghost came in, he brought the love of God in with him, according to Romans chapter five. But we need to be told 13 times <laughs> to love one another. So I want you to take hold of that communion cup. I want you to peel off that little film that's across the top. When you do, I want you to take hold of that, that little piece of bread, that little wafer there, and I want you to just hold it up so I can see when we're ready to move on. Let me see, hold it up, hold it up. This little wafer is symbolic of the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ that he willingly allowed to be brutalized Willing, allow, willingly allow his body to be pierced so that that blood could be shed on this earth. And our Father in heaven, in his goodness and in his mercy, received Jesus as payment for your sins and for my sins so that forever we could spend eternity with him if we would put our trust in the fact that Jesus died in our place. And so even as he did in the Last Supper, I'm going to pray over this, and then we're going to take it together. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, I thank you for this bread. Thank you for all that it represents to us, Lord God. Father, every time we take communion, we're going to remember all that Jesus suffered on our behalf. But Father, we're also going to remember that he did it to establish an entity on this earth called the church, the body of believers. And so, Father, when we take communion, we're going to remember to honor one another as we honor the Lord Jesus. And so we take this bread with thanksgiving in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, go right ahead. And if you could, just take that foil off the top of the cup. What you hold in your hand is symbolic of the most powerful entity in the universe. This symbolizes, this represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who took away the sins of this world. It was by the blood that your sins and mine were cleansed from us. It was by the blood that Satan himself was defeated. It's by this blood being shed for us that caused you and I to become qualified for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. None of that could happen if it were not for the blood. And so, Father, we receive this with so much appreciation and gratitude in our hearts. Thank you so much that you did not spare the very best that you had. You sent your son, you sent his blood, and you received it as payment for each and every one of us, Father. And we just thank you, Lord, that by his stripes we were healed. And so we receive this with thanksgiving in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. 
If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.